Bridge US is on a war footing to take out and to neutralize people who profit off of division and people that feel that the only political methodology to win elections, to create change, is to dismantle the other side. I think there's a huge potential for young people to play a very important role in how democracies operate moving forward. The U.S. specifically is going through three trends that no democracy in the history of humanity since before the Greeks has ever gone through. Bridge is fundamentally an experiment of what happens when you get people of different views, different ideas, different beliefs to engage with each other. And I don't think there could be anything more beautiful or valuable. The goal is to have every incoming college freshman have access to a bridge chapter. Bridge Hero Podcast. Here we meet, discuss, debate, and talk to people who draw bridges between political perspectives. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Bridge Hero Podcast. I'm Vlad from Bridge Europe Online, and I'm pleased to host this episode in which we're going to talk about building bridges between political perspectives. In the recent years, the growing gap between the groups with different political views has become a major reason to worry about the future of liberal democracies. Diversity of ideas and constructive dialogue are a foundation of our civil society. Yet the polls show that less and less people are willing to become friends, talk to, or even be in the same room with a person who has opposite political views. My guest today is Manu Miel, CEO of Bridge USA, a student-led organization that works towards dialogue, ideological diversity, and solution-oriented politics. Under his leadership, Bridge USA has grown into a global movement with more than 40 chapters in universities all across the United States, as well as bridge organizations in Europe, Africa, New Zealand, Russia, Brazil, and Argentina. This year, Manu was selected for the Forbes 30 under 30 list. In this episode, we are talking about the story and the future of Bridge USA, the biggest challenges for our democracy, and ways to incentivize dialogue across the political aisle. Enjoy the podcast. Really appreciate having you on the podcast, man. Really. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I, I, I'm grateful to be here and the work that our uh, sisters, brothers and friends that are in Bridge Europe, you guys are doing is, is fantastic and awesome. And we couldn't be more proud to be with you guys. Yeah, really, really cool having you here as the CEO of Bridge, Bridge USA. I mean, uh, Constant Cutter did uh, did an episode uh, a year and a half ago with with David, uh, who's the founder of Bridge Bridge Europe, and now I'm having the interview with you, who is uh, who is the CEO of Bridge USA. I would just say that if you did an arm wrestling competition between David, myself, and Cons, don't tell them, but I would definitely win. So you got you got the better one here. I'm kidding. Cons and David are lovely. Uh, so I think before before I ask you what what you did as CEO of Bridge USA, it would be probably cool to start a bit earlier with your background, like how how you came to to Bridge, how you got interested in politics. What what was your track on on this way to becoming CEO? 
Yeah, so I'm probably one of the most uh, inexperienced CEOs in the world. So uh, please take my uh, uh, thoughts and input with a grain of salt. Uh, so basically, the way that this began was in 2017, I was a freshman at UC Berkeley, and there was a student by the name of Roger Karma who had built something in Notre Dame, I think called the Moderates Club. It was for the politically homeless. And then there was this uh, awesome uh, young woman named Cortland Carpenter at Colorado Boulder, and they built this thing called Bridge CU. Now, the way that this connects was, uh, Vlad, was in, in our February of 2017, when I was a second semester freshman, when I had no interest in politics, and I still have no interest in politics, frankly. Actually, my interest in politics has gone down, having worked in politics for the last four years. But that being said, what happened was, I was walking back from my math class, and I walked past this cafe, right? And the cafe's windows are broken, and there was a CNN TV there saying, UC Berkeley students protesting free speech. And the CNN crew that was filming that was standing right next to me. And this was like a collision of, of, of politics and democracy and protest. And the next day, me and a couple of friends got together and said, hey, can we just create a space for people to listen to each other? That was it. Just a space for people to hear. And really, that turned into Bridge Berkeley. And then we connected with folks at Notre Dame and Colorado. And the reason why we built this was because, at least in the US, and I don't know what you think about in Europe, but in the US, there's, there's deep apathy there's a deep sense of pessimism and the students that are very engaged and knowledgeable are hyper-polarized in their engagement. And my job and my friend's job is to figure out how we help people in our democracy be more empathetic, more productive, more constructive in the way that they're acting so that we can actually create consensus and find solutions to the problems that are so pressing. Yeah. I think uh, like here in Europe, uh, I wouldn't say that Europeans are that much concerned about the division here in Europe. But with regard to the U.S., I mean, if you go if you go to any bookstore in Germany, there are at least uh, a few books stating America divided, the failing democracy in America, the division in America. Um, so yeah, I think the concerns are here uh, for sure, and I think uh, especially especially with the stories from from those university campuses, I think. For those who are at least mildly interested in politics and the free speech and the things happening in in the U.S., um, I think I think the stories of the UC Berkeley are kind of kind of familiar to the people uh, watching watching what is happening. That's interesting. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because it seems like the way that the U.S. is divided, the EU seems equally equally divided and fractured and. It's interesting that you, you know, for example, you refer to people as Europeans. I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on how European politics are playing out currently. Because from my vantage point, it appears like democracies in general are in the same boat, where there's just division and strife, and and it's a it's a real test of sort of what wins out. Yeah, so Europe is definitely facing facing some some kind of polarization, but. The, the the thing with the with the EU is that the European Union is not a country like the US is, and uh, although there is like this big uh, big European Parliament and the politics in in uh, in Europe is at least in a way unified, it is still a union of independent countries, and I think the struggle is a lot more between the countries. So you have now the the contradictions between the Western Europe and the Eastern Europe, the new members, you have um, countries who want to do a bit, a bit more um, uh, restrictive economic policies. Like we had this, uh, uh, this group called uh, 
um, the uh, economic four, I think, if the translation is right, um, consisting of Austria, uh, Netherlands, uh, Denmark, and I suppose Finland, uh, as a counterpart to the south uh, southern europeans who want to like spend spend more money and who do want to to like get got get more money from from the eu as just economic help not as a credit and stuff so like the divisions are here but there are more uh, more between the countries so like the the mindsets of the people are definitely they differ they differ for sure but because it is usually due to the mentality and to the to the background from people coming from different countries i think it's it's a lot the european union is a lot less polarized in that sense i would say if you if you if you if you take it and 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 also i i was really interested in how the the way the european politics works we have uh, we do have multi uh multipolar system so to say like we don't have the by by uh, <clears throat> the two party system like like you do in the in the states so i think this is this is also something that actually uh helps 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 prevent uh, this harsh polarization between because the people really have more than two choices like they do in the us you are either republican or democrat um i i i'm really wondering what you th think about this uh, is is the two party system that you have in in the states really one one of the causes for the polarization or is it just um it's a, it's a good question and i think the short answer to that is i don't actually know um so the reason i'm split on this is because i'll give you an example i come from india india has like 250 parties uh but basically there's there's two primary big ones congress and bjp similar to that you know in germany for example you guys have five parties from my understanding um uh, three of those really being powerful right the christian democratic uh union and then you have sort of the the socialist democrats uh who are more on the extreme than you got the green party and you got a couple others right on our side i think the polarization is definitely it exists because you have only two sides but frankly the two-party system has spanned a, a, a period of 250 years, right? And there's a reason why you go, ebb, it, the polarization ebbs and flows. To me, the causation there's a little weak. I think actually the, the bigger causes of polarization are one, sort of the advent of uh, not necessarily just social media, but advent of algorithms that power people to specifically see what they're seeing. I think second is that divisions have always existed in, in American society, Vlad, but from my perspective, the, what's happening now is that those divisions are becoming more apparent, that people have to actually confront them. In like the 1950s, if you lived in Alabama and you lived in New York City, you just would never interact. So even though they, they're still equally divided in both times, they don't have to deal with each other. It's like two uncles in a family that never actually talk to each other. Now they're being forced to talk to each other in every single way. And the third thing, and I think this is the, the other big cause for polarization in our society, is that you have a system and a set of rules like primaries, like gerrymandering, like, rank, like uh, a lack of ranked choice voting that mean that the rules of the game are rigged in a way that incentivize those that are running for office to polarize. You're incentivized to divide, not to unite. You're incentivized to incite rather than to get people to understand the commonality within each other. So until we don't fix the way that our system works and the way that the rules interact, the social media and algorithms, the fact that we have to confront their divisions, 
And finally, the way that the game is set up is exactly how it's meant to be played. I'm not surprised at how polarized we are. It is actually not a surprise at all. With the with the social media, I think I I absolutely agree with you. I think the 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 problem is also that people just are too often stuck in their bubbles. So like they tend to speak with only uh, the people with the similar political views. They, well, because yeah. only I'm right. Only I'm right. <laughs> I only want to listen. I only want to, Milad, don't you get it? I only want to listen to people that agree with me. Here, here is the the funny thing about about the human nature. I think that manifests itself in this in this kind of building building the bubble around you uh, that you don't really want to be disagreed with, right? So, like, you don't want your views to be confronted, and you don't want to accept that you are sometimes not not right. Why would I want to accept? Am I ever wrong, Vlad? Am I are really you? ever wrong? <laughs> no, I would say, I think you're absolutely right. I'm actually really happy you brought up human nature. I would just say one thing. I know you're about to go and say something. I would just say that the human nature point is actually so accurate because I actually don't, I mean, yes, the algorithms in social media exist and, and they're meant to, to, to uh, give you what you want, but ultimately they're just playing up human nature, right? I, I like, I think social media is actually the ultimate mirror. It's, it's actually showing us exactly who we are which is people that, to your point, don't want to talk to anyone that thinks differently. And to your point, much rather prefer fighting and, and seeing division rather than unity. You know, if I share a good news thing, like algorithm or no algorithm, you're going to find that far less interesting than if I shared something that was like a bunch of elephants ran through San Francisco today and trashed everything. So what does that say about society? You know what I mean? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting idea that the social media is not really the cause, but it's just a symptom. It, it just shows, because it's so powerful and so big and it connects all of us, it just shows us what what we are. This is this is a really interesting thought uh, I've never had, actually. I was always... Can I actually add, add that a little bit? I can, yeah. I, can I, do you mind if I build on that for a second? Yeah, yeah, feel, feel free to elaborate. Yeah, so I would just say that to add further... The example I often use is junk food, okay? So when junk food first, like when chips first came out, when the idea of Lay's, like Lay's came out, Pringles came out, Ruffles came out, like everyone was just eating chips all the time because it tastes great. And biologically, it was like, yeah, this is excellent. The response wasn't to ban chips. The response was, hey, let's put and create a food diet. Let's have the FDA produce food labels. Let's empower the consumer to realize that you can't just be eating crappy food all the time, right? And now you still have obesity is a big problem in the US, but chances are if you ask someone right now how many times you've bought chips in the last week, you would have a minimally reduced answer as compared to the 50s or the 60s. Same with social media. Like ultimately, you're the one who's clicking the like button. So why can't we have an information diet? You know, why can't we as consumers realize that actually we have to be very conscious about what we're feeding to our minds in the same way that we exercise, the same way that we choose where to walk on the street, you know, we can also choose what to click on social media. So I would absolutely agree that the algorithms are tough. They, they, I think they need to be amended. Um, but at the same time, I think it is as much a consumer problem as it is, I think, a producer problem. I think in order for for us as consumers to act on that we have first to realize that there is a problem at all have do you think most people realize there's a problem i think many people do like I, I, a lot of people don't really but many people do 
Uh, but the, there is also a huge difference. I mean, anyone who uh, had like pro a procrastination problem or something like that, on any 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 actually problem with regard to like doing something on as a habit, there is there is this funny thing when you realize there is a problem and you know it's bad, but it's really hard to get out of it. Like you re realize that you have to it's do like something with that. Yeah, I think I, th I think I think it is. I mean, I've never I've, I've never smoked. I think it, it it is essentially or exercise or like all of the other things that you know we we know are are good to do but are hard to implement. With like every everything like like smoking for instance, you you need a support group. You need a community of of people who would tell you, "Hey man, it's enough." It's like like check read something different, uh talk to someone. And I it's almost like a bridge matters. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a good, good, good place to come to bridge. So, what's up with Bridge USA for you? For the audience, by the way, that was not a forced transition. Uh, I did not <laughs> hold Vlad hostage to transitioning to bridge. Um, but what was your question? How did you end up as a CEO? Yeah, I think I gave the context in the beginning, right? Of 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 the chapter and and how we got started. I guess what I would say is maybe how I started my journey with growing and developing Bridge is, I think, threefold. One is I found my best friends through Bridge. I mean, I really mean that. If it wasn't for Ross, John, John Ryder, some of the other people that built Bridge with me, like, I don't know if I would still be here. I think a lot of people often lie, actually, about why they stay in certain things. I think the notion of just, I grinded my ass off for four years, and I was just so committed to the mission is really a false narrative. I made my best friends out of this work. And I think the reason why actually that matters and it connects to Bridge is because the goal of Bridge is to get people to see the value in people. And the fact that we were had so many different ideas and we had such different political beliefs, but ultimately we became so close was because we worked on a shared project. The second reason why I love Bridge and I've, I've really stuck with it and grown it is because I don't believe there's something I could be doing more important in current society. I think the US specifically is going through three trends that no democracy in the history of humanity since before the Greeks has ever gone through. First is that we are about to be the first ever multiracial democracy. What I mean by that is there will be no race in the US that is more than 50%. That has never happened in the history of democracies or countries where you have a peaceful, stable society where races simply live in harmony with each other. If the US manages to pull this off, it will be the greatest achievement that I believe human nature will have ever achieved because it, is it, it goes fundamentally against what humans have shown for 300,000 years. The second reason why I think it's one of the most important things that I could be doing is because we're on the heels of a technological revolution that we have no idea is about to change every aspect of our life. Artificial intelligence, I think, mark my, my words, is as important as the invention of the Gutenberg's printing press. Um, artificial intelligence will affect and change our relationship with every product, every human, and every society. Uh, imagine a world in which your best friend is actually an inanimate teddy bear that speaks to you. That is a very different relationship than what we have right now. And I don't think we're prepared for it. And my job at Bridge, why that matters, is because I'm trying to get people to just see each other, to value human relationship. And the third big trend is that U.S. primacy, and as a European, you might appreciate this, the notion of U.S. hegemony in the world and the U.S. leadership is actually very much in question. And so these three trends mean that there's a lot of problems. Um, and that's all right, because that's what happens in, I think, what is the most ambitious democratic experiment. 
since the Greeks and Athenian democracy. And so my job is to play a very small role in a giant problem, and I have, I'm very excited to do that. And the third quick thing is that I think there's a huge potential for young people to play a very important role in how democracies operate moving forward. Bridge is fundamentally an experiment of what happens when you get people of different views, different ideas, different beliefs to engage with each other. And I don't think there could be anything more beautiful or valuable. And a lot of that is under threat right now, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But those are the three big reasons why I care deeply about Bridge and why I'm passionate about working on the mission. Oh, this this is this is absolutely amazing, man. Uh, and as is your job, I mean. Yes, you're right. It is also my job. If I stop doing Bridge, I won't have a paycheck. <laughs> uh, I think nothing, nothing, nothing actually speaks better for for this uh, for this idea that the young people are so interested in 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 this this whole movement as the fact that after how many for how many years have you been bridge four and a half four and a half in four and a half years it's now 43 chapters yeah it's now 43 chapters in 19 different u.s states 45 45 now it's 45. i'm really bad at counting but i can tell you it's 45 yeah then you better update your website <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate the uh, European shots fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and Bridge is also Bridge is also in Europe. Bridge is in Africa. Bridge is in at least uh, five other uh, other countries all around the world. It's it's amazing the job you've done scaling up this whole organization. Um, well, the credit goes to you guys. I mean, I, I said this when the Forbes thirty under thirty thing came out, for example. Um, I think you and I have actually only spoken like twice. Um, you've done all the work, right? You, Cons, Katarina, the team. Uh, it, it. I want people within Bridge, and I think this is why Bridge is so beautiful and so valuable, is actually it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with a decentralized node of people across the world working on this collective problem. And the fact that there are people in Bridge Russia, Bridge Europe, Bridge Africa, Bridge New Zealand even, um, that are doing work on their own impulse, I think speaks to the value of bridge and the need for this. And it could, it, I, I, I could never speak to it as, as much as the actual merits speak to it, that you guys are just doing it. That's that in and of itself stands on its own. There is, there is actually nothing much I can, I can add to it. I, I mean, my, my experience was absolutely lovely with, with bridge USA. I mean, we've collaborated with at least three different chapters over over the last year and it was always always a pleasant experience and it really it really were completely different people every time with different views different ideas different priorities they have had even but it it like the one one common goal of like just talking get get in there and talk and exchange opinions it's really really important i think because not so many people are actually ready i mean i have a feeling that at the moment in our like now not not that many people are actually ready to like sit down and talk just to exchange and to expose themselves to to a different opinion like we're not ready to listen i mean to to the skeptics out there i just want to address them really quickly um ultimately you're probably asking yourself the question which just vlad just pointed out which is really all you're doing is getting people to talk to each other and my answer to that is exactly And the fact that you think that that isn't sufficient explains what the problem is. We've forgotten that in our very complex world, Vlad, where you have 
technology and you have companies and you have uh, massive corporations and, and, and institutions like the UN making decisions, but at the core of just a country is a person. And if people are pissed in a democracy, it's a very simple equation for me. If people are pissed and they aren't talking to each other, what do you do? You get them to talk to each other. And, and yes, bridge is not alone sufficient. And I think we have to acknowledge this as our, as our movements and as our collective organization. I'm not by any means saying that bridge is the only solution to our problem. It is actually not the only thing. As I said in the beginning, you need organizations that fix democracy. You need organizations advocating for reforms. But to your point, what we're doing is we're getting people to realize fundamentally at the core of what they are, which is they're human. And ultimately, the reason why the human species is different than any other species is its ability to communicate. And that ability to communicate is under threat from those three trends that I told you about. The fact that we're about to be a multiracial democracy, the fact that AI is about to revolutionize everything we do, and the fact that I think the world is becoming more isolationist. And as a result, the ability for people to communicate is less and less. The incentives for people to talk to each other is less and less, unless they make a conscious effort to do so. Yeah, I think the, the th especially the, th the third point you're raising, I think it, it, it all eventually comes back to this idea when, when I was talking about Europe being like the union of the independent countries instead of the united country of the states as the US is. I think it's it's really interesting thing. How do you get the sep quite, kind of separate entities that as the nations are to talk to each other if 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 it's getting more and more uh, difficult to d get like individual people to talk to each other? It's a great point. I mean, one thing I would say is we're definitely not you know an organization that you know is like advocating for or against like globalization, right? Like we obviously aren't like. <laughs> We're no, by no means have any interest in creating like one country, right? That's not the, the point here, but I think what you, you are getting at, which is how do you get countries to engage? I mean, regardless of what your theory of international relations is, regardless of what you think about policy, fundamentally, if countries don't at least have established lines of dialogue, or if countries don't have the tools, the proper tools to be able to communicate their intentions, then the risk of miscalculation, the risk of conflict is very high. So I think regardless of where people stand and whether or not the world needs to be more isolationist or less isolationist or needs to be upside down or right side up or have more countries or less countries or have a bigger UN or a smaller UN, ultimately all we're saying is you need to have the tools to be able to communicate so that you don't have issues like miscalculation. Yeah, again, I think it all comes down to, to the things we've already talked about, like the, the, the fact that like even the social media just makes makes this this nature that we have and, and things that we're used to making bigger, it kind of like the social media works like a magnifying glass. And I think for, for the issues that we already have in the society, also the, this idea with like countries talking or not talking, the more isolationist way to, to do the foreign policy or the globalization. Is it, is it just so that if we, if we create this bubble as the world is like, we, we only have one planet we're living there if we like let things work out, it it will eventually settle down to some 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 state. Well, if it's uh if it's up to our friend Elon, we won't just be living on one planet. <laughs> but uh, I, I I would say I would say that you know, I mean, what you're getting at there, which is will it sort of sort itself out, right? If I understand that question correctly, yeah, is yeah, yeah. it is kind of like if more more uh, more of an approach from from like more science perspective, I, I if I should say. Like you, you, you have some process going on, but eventually it comes down to a certain state 
I think that's absolutely right. A state of equilibrium, right? And and I think the world oscillates between states of equilibrium. And as I said right now, we're at the we're at the intersection of three huge trends, right? So of course there's not going to be equilibrium and stability, right? Anyone that thinks that the world should be stable right now or is concerned or is pessimistic is blind to the fact that of course there's going to be problems right now. <laughs> Turn around. There's there's no state of equilibrium, but that's all right. World oscillates. We've had equilibrium for 75 years since World War II as a planet, right? Um, if you are, are, are not even a student of history, if you're an observer of history, you know that 75 years is a very long time to be stable. Um, and I say that not in some like doomsday way, by the way. I say that to, to be able to find hope and perspective, that the notion that there is, there is change is totally predictable and understandable. So the question is, what do we do about it? Let's not surrender to change. Let's learn how to master it so we as a planet can fa- afford a better path. Yeah, this is this is this is an amazing idea actually. But what what do we do with those who are not ready for a change? Like a lot of people are just concerned a lot and I think even 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 this the fact that people are not willing to talk to each other is that say there is there is a big group of people who are really up for a change and they are ready to move things forward and there is a group of people who who who'd rather things stay like they are because they're completely happy with, with, with the state of things right now. How do we br- bridge this gap between between this this two really big groups in the society? Between the two groups? Yeah. And, and the two groups are people that want change and don't want change, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're asking purely from an organizational perspective, what I would actually tell people is that we're not actually changing anything. We're just reminding you what it means to be human. <laughs> so, so this notion that we're we're facilitating connection and dialogue and empathy between people of totally different backgrounds and beliefs um, creates the conditions for a shared understanding of where we should be going. And I think the fundamental reason why there are people that don't necessarily want change is because they're anxious about change. And you know, the best way to to reduce anxiety is to help people understand that that anxiety exists and to acknowledge it, and then to clearly outline and demonstrate where you're going with your change, right? Now, Bridge isn't taking stances on whether there should be change or not, right? We're merely creating the conditions for that discussion to happen. And what I would argue is that if you're, let's say, an activist that wants to create lots of change, you better be the best bridge builder out there because bridge building is actually the only way that you can be able to bring those people along that don't want change. And simultaneously, if you're someone that wants to resist change, you also better be the best bridge builder out there because you've got to figure out why people want that change and be able to convince them that the status quo is effective. So I would say that bridge is creating the conditions for the conversation to happen. And that's more than we can ask for. This is, I think, the most noble idea, not taking any sides and to just like create the environment for people to come together, to be able to discuss their opinions, their, to, to make their voices not only heard, but maybe understood well vlad we are cheating a little bit because we've created a bubble between two people that are doing bridge building uh but 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 that being said uh again to those that are skeptical to those that you know think that this is a kumbaya thing to those that say that you're just getting people to talk and that's not sufficient um i would merely ask them that at least we agree that there's a lot of instability in society so i would ask them what are you doing about it That's what I asked them. I'm curious. What are you doing about it? Let's hear it. 
Because a lot of people these days are very skeptical, but don't have their own ideas. And uh, the last thing we need in society is is just a hundred percent skepticism. You know, we we need to figure we need to figure we need to figure our way out. Um, we don't need more people telling us things are messed up. We get that. Thank you. PSA. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I think I I think the most important thing is when you criticize something, you should make make good thoughts about what would you do about that. Yes, and in the spirit of bridging, we welcome anyone listening to this episode. Yeah. If you are critical of bridge, please feel free to comment below why you're critical of bridge. And I promise you, as bridging people, we will listen to it. It's really, it's really amazing what people do in the chapters, actually. Like, and sometimes, I mean, I mean, even even if I'm when I'm talking with like with with the other chapters in British Europe, it's sometimes. Like they have some some ideas of their own. I mean, the bridge, the British Paris chapter just came up with this amazing idea. By the way, uh, political speed dating. When like random people just came into a cafe, they've got five minutes. They've got prepared topics. They just sit down with a person they know nothing about and just start talking about some some political issue with no idea of their. I think I think this is this is also a very important point. If you don't know like. If you don't know the political views uh, of the of the person you're talking to in advance, you probably are gonna enter the conversation with an absolutely different attitude. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think this is this is what actually excited me about Bridge, and this is this is the the reason why I came came I became the part of the organization because I was like really looking for someone who would be ready to talk to me. And discuss my views. For me, as a person coming from like a background of, of of science and physics, and with like no political education whatsoever, and it it, it really something that really inspired me in, in in this idea that people are like really willing to talk to you, not confronting you, not being aggressive towards you, and just ready to hear you out and uh, happy to be to be listened to as well. And it's 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 a really amazing idea, and I'm I'm really happy to be to be a part of Bridge, and I'm really happy that you're doing doing that as the CEO. I think you making it into thirty under thirty from Forbes, it's an amazing achievement, as you said, even like for the whole organization, it's really cool. Uh, but I can I say three 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 things really quickly? Just, absolutely, just absolutely. One is uh, my friend Roger Karma would be. Uh, very angry if I didn't say that he actually came up with the original political speed dating idea in Notre Dame in 2016, and then we copied it. And I hope the Bridge Paris chapter came up with it randomly because that means that means that that idea is so organic and interesting that it makes sense. But shout out to Roger on that front. The second thing I would just quickly say is that point that you just made, Vlad, which is that you came from a science and engineering background. That is such a critical point. Actually, a lot of STEM people hold the key to today's solutions to toxic political discourse because ultimately bridge is about finding people with the right temperament and oftentimes you'll find the right temperament in the stem fields and so i appreciate you getting involved and actually our berkeley chapter president for the longest time used to be a pre-med person and the one before that also used to be pre-med person um so i think that's a big opportunity for us is strategically and last thing i would say and this is what i've said before is yes some days suck some days are really boring some days no one comes to our events Some days it's tiring. Some days it's very discouraging. But ultimately, the noble mission that we're aspiring for, I think, embodies a boldness and spirit 
that has defined the most ambitious experiment of democracy. And I think that is something to be proud of. So I just want to acknowledge that, that I know there's sometimes very, very tough moments where like, it's like, what are we doing? We're just spinning our wheels, not getting anywhere, talking to ourselves. But I think that action in and of itself is something to be proud of. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean it. <laughs> really, I do. Um, I think to, to sum up and to uh, wrap things up on a good, good note, what is what is in the future for Bridge? What are the plans? I mean, you already uh, said that this that Bridge is uh, very autonomous right now. The chapters are really autonomous. Uh, autonomous. The um, uh, the whole organization is kind of decentralized and mostly self self organizing. Uh, what 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 are the big plans for the future? And what is what is the ultimate goal? I can I can at least speak on the American side. Operationally, the the goal is to have every incoming college freshman have access to a Bridge chapter. Um, that means that wherever you're a freshman, you know that there's a bridge chapter close by and you can get involved, Bridge USA chapter. Politically, the objective is that we have to undermine and disempower the polarizing forces in our society. Bridge USA is on a war footing to take out and to neutralize people who profit off of division and people that feel that the only political methodology to win elections, to create change, is to dismantle the other side. And finally, on a movement level, as you said, this is not about one person, one chapter, or one continent. Um, this is about all of us carrying an idea forward. And I think ideas are what change things, not necessarily people. And if the idea of bridge is powerful enough to go beyond ourselves and us, um, that's my dream. But frankly, all of that grandiose stuff aside, having this conversation with you, man, doing this work with some of my awesome friends, uh, uh, drinking a couple of beers, just talking about how we can make our politics better. That's fulfilling enough. All of the other things that I just said are extra credit. Amazing. <laughs> I hope, I hope we'll, we'll like we in British Europe as a part of this whole movement will also be able to, to do our, to do our, to make our contribution to this whole. Yes, sir. Yes. The, so you guys are already doing it. We're going to keep seeing it. Yeah. It was it was really great having you, man. Uh, really cool. Uh, I thank really you. enjoyed. I really enjoyed the talk, and uh, thank you so much for coming. I hope to see you see you again sometime soon, or uh, when when there is a good uh, uh, when there is a good reason to talk again. And uh, yeah, I wish you I wish you best best of luck. Uh, thank you so much, Vlad and Cons uh, and David. If you're listening, I would win an arm arm Thank you, sir. Before we wrap this up, I asked a few members from different local chapters of Bridge from all around the world about their experiences and uh, ways to deal with political conversations at family dinners and also uh, what their plans are for Bridge in 2022. Hello, my name is Konstantin and I'm part of the Bridge Paris chapter. My name is Belinda Odek, I'm from Kenya, and then the team lead for Bridge Africa. My name is Tessa, and together with Ines, um, we run the Bridge chapter down in Aotearoa, New Zealand, all the way down under. And I'm actually quite lucky, because Christmas dinners in my family are usually quite relaxed and not that heated when it comes to political discussions. 
Um, but what I always do in discussions with my grandparents uh, is that I really make sure to try to understand in what time they've grown up and see the political statements they are making in that light and, and really try to see how they were just influenced by the world that surrounded them when they were young and how it's hard for them to adapt to how the society has evolved since then. And I think when you do that, you are also not that mad or offended when your grandparents say something that you, you find uh, politically incorrect or, well, which just isn't your opinion. Um, how I deal with political conversations at Christmas dinner? Well, I just let all family members express their political views, you know, regardless of the political party that they are affiliated to. You know, because it's important that we accept different perspectives on issues. Um, and about conversations, difficult conversations at the dinner table at Christmas or just any holidays, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I normally... Um, yeah, I normally try to uh, just, just listen to them and try to find common ground. Uh, try to see where they might be coming from and whether it's factual based or, or emotional based, um, their argument. Um, but yeah, if they're just trying to play devil's advocate or, or personally attack me, I, I need to distance myself a little bit and um, try to keep cool without them letting them get to me too much um, because it's just not worth it, especially not with the, with the whole family around. But normally I do try and engage in a, in a sophisticated conversation <laughs> if it stays on that level otherwise it can can easily get into into a fight but um yeah i try i try to avoid that and my plan for bridge europe in 2022 is to have a lot of in-person events that's what was really missing the last two years and i hope it's going to be possible again in the upcoming one my plans for bridge in the future is just expansion you know I just want to have make sure that we have more chapters across the continent, you know, because the work that we do at Bridge Africa is very important in shaping our democracy as a continent. So I plan to have more chapters in, in, in other countries on the continent, but also strengthen the chapters that, that we already have on the continent. We're on summer summer holidays at the moment, so we're waiting for the semester to kickstart so we can we can set up an actual university club and, and talk to the faculty and the organizers and the union so um yeah hopefully fingers crossed we can get that all started and talking about summer um it's also christmas at the moment so merry christmas or merry kirihimete thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to bridge your podcast and share it with your friends and if you are interested in more content from bridge europe you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and our website, bridgeeurope.com. There, you can keep track of our local and online events, as well as our blog, where we publish new articles every Tuesday. Come back for the new episodes. Bye!